Welcome to OB Wannabes, an educational podcast about obstetrics and gynecology and women's health for medical students and women's healthcare providers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to OB Wannabes. I'm Shelby. And I'm Cassie. This week, we're talking about mammogram and breast cancer screening. Yeah. How are you doing this week, Cassie? <laughs> Pretty good. Just, you know, enjoying. It's getting a little chillier outside, so enjoying sweater weather finally here in Las Vegas. Yeah, it's hard to come by sweater weather in Vegas. But yeah, I noticed yesterday when I went out to walk my dog, um, I like I had like a sweater on and a jacket and I was like, okay, I can't stay out here long. So <laughs> I've been having to take my dog out before I leave for my surgery and which is super early in the morning. And so basically I take a shower and then I come back and I'm like with my wet hair, throw on like a beanie. I've got a long sleeve. I've got a, like a thermal jacket thing and a vest and a scarf and like my fleece lined leggings so that I, and I just bundle up and I like hobble <laughs> over um, down to get him as, as good of a walk as I can get before I have to leave. But it's, mm-hmm. it's cold. It does. You know, oh. in our defense, it does get down to like the 40s and 50s. Um, it was in the 30s the other, like it? in the morning. Yeah. And for people who are from cold places, I apologize. Uh, <laughs> you're probably like, wow, we get to the negative degrees here. But for people, or at least for me, coming from California originally and then being in Vegas and having that, you know, 120 degree summer, this is cold for me. Yeah. Uh, I grew up in Virginia and in the winter, sometimes I'd get down to like the teens, um, which was terrible. Um, but now that I've been out here for a couple years, I'm like a lizard, you know, I expect wherever, wherever you go, I feel like you adjust, <laughs> you like, you become used to that temperature. And so, um, mm-hmm. like one of our classmates who's, uh, from Chicago, I was, walking I was like it's so cold and I'm like sorry I know you probably don't think this is cold and he was like well you know we've been here for a couple years I now you know I'm not used to the snow and Chicago cold and windy so this is cold for me now but (laughs) all relative absolutely all right well I guess we'll get started so just a little bit about breast cancer it's the leading cause of cancer-related mortality in women worldwide um, I believe in the U.S. it's the second most common cause in women uh, of cancer-related mortality after lung cancer. Um, the incidence is highest actually in North America, Australia, New Zealand, Western and Northern Europe. Um, so more developed countries are more likely to, to see breast cancer. Um, and they think that this may be a variety of environmental factors such as our diet, um, obesity rates, um, the age of first menses uh, tends to be younger in developed countries. Um, So I think there's still a lot of research um, being done out there to understand, you know, what the environmental risk factors are for breast cancer. I think also in that is the um, weird uh, amount of children, the number of children that you have. So how many pregnancies you've had. Um, yeah. If you've had more pregnancies and less time in between your pregnancies, uh, then you're less likely or you have a lower risk of having breast cancer. Um, and mm-hmm. also your first age of the age that you have your first pregnant or first live birth mm-hmm. is also a factor. Okay. So it must be a hor- hormone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Estrogen related. Mm-hmm. 
I just learned this yeah. the other day from one of the breast surgeons I'm with. Nice. Yeah, I, I did read about that, but I forgot to write it down. So I'm glad you mentioned it. <laughs> the perfect pair. Um, the mortality rates for breast cancer have uh, decreased steadily since the 70s. Um, so similar to what we were talking about last time with um, cervical cancer, as screening and treatment have improved, uh, breast cancer related mortality has decreased. Uh, so we're grateful for that with how you know common it is. And I know I personally have several people in my family that have had breast cancer. Um, I actually have a, a friend that you know is in our age group and um, is battling breast cancer. And so um, this is very common. It hits close to home for a lot of people. Um, so we'll go into depth about you know how important screening is. Uh, what are some of the treatment options? for breast cancer. First of all, what are the clinical um, features uh, that you might see in someone that has breast cancer? Um, typically, uh, most uh, cases of breast cancer are found with an abnormal mammogram, uh, but a patient may also present with, you know, a mass that they felt or a physician, you know, when they're um, doing an annual exam and decides to do a breast exam, they may feel a mass. Uh, there may also be um, some skin changes uh, overlying the breast and the axilla, so the armpit, um, that may clue in that there may be a malignancy. Um, typically with a uh, clinical breast exam, uh, if there's a mass felt that's suspicious for malignancy, classically it's immobile, so it's you know not easily moved around, whereas a cyst you know, would kind of roll under the fingers. Um, it may be hard, so it feels very, you know, dense. Um, it's usually a single lesion, uh, whereas if a, if a patient has fibrocystic changes in their breast, there might be several, you know, lumpy, bumpy, uh, you know, texture to their breast. Um, and then the mass may have irregular borders. Again, this is kind of the classic picture and it doesn't always look this way. There may also be a mass that isn't palpable and it's only found on mammogram. Um, someone may also present with a um, enlarged lymph node in their axilla, uh, so that might be the first clue uh, to look for cancer. Um, there may also be skin changes like redness, um, thickening of the skin in an area, and dimpling. Uh, so the term that you might hear with board review is peau d'orange, um, which is French for orange peel. You said that beautifully. Um, Thank you. I did take French in high school, so this was my time to shine. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, basically involvement of the ligaments in the breast uh, can pull the skin up in areas and cause this dimpling. Um, so that may be a sign of breast cancer. Having the uh, lumps or masses in the um, axilla is why it's so important that when you're doing a clinical breast exam, you're not only examining the breast, but you're also going out into um, and checking into the axilla as well um, as the supraclavicular nodes or those lymph nodes that are right above the clavicle. So make sure you never forget those. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That was a great thing to mention. Um, there are a variety of different types of breast cancer. Um, but the most common invasive breast cancer is infiltrating ductal carcinoma. Um, so this is described based on the structure of the, um, uh, the milk ducts in the breast. 
Um, so the most common is infiltrating from the duct. Um, the second most common is infiltrating lobular carcinoma. Um, so that would be like the end of the duct. So if you're, you know, looking at a picture, maybe this will help. <laughs> um, and then there's also mixed ductor, ductal and lobular. So these are the common types of invasive breast cancer. Um, there's also ductal and lobular carcinoma in situ, which means that it hasn't invaded um, the um, duct. And so, um, you know, this is a much more localized cancer. Um, if it's caught early, you know, it's um, more easily treated. Um, and then there's much less common um, types of breast cancer, including inflammatory breast cancer. Um, you might see a picture on a board exam of a very inflamed uh, red rash on the breast. Um, and so that's an example of inflammatory breast cancer um, and breast sarcoma. So again, these are pretty rare. You might not see this in your practice, but they're good to know about. Um, so we'll dive right into um, mammograms. Uh, we might do an episode later on discussing more in depth the different types of breast cancer um, and what the treatments are for breast cancer. Um, but today we'll focus on, you know, what are the screening recommendations? Um, so for a mammogram, there are three main types. Um, there's screen film, digital, and digital breast tomosynthesis, what laymen know as 3D mammogram. Um, the digital mammogram and the 3D mammogram are a little bit more sensitive, and so they tend to be preferred for um, patients that are known to have dense breast tissue. Um, but uh, there's really no, um, otherwise there's really no preference over the three. Um, when, uh, when to start uh, giving mammograms to a patient depends on their calculated risk. Um, so this depends on uh, several factors. Uh, if they have a past medical history of breast cancer, obviously ovarian, tubal, or peritoneal cancer, um, this might signal someone as high risk for breast cancer. If they have family history of any of the cancers that I mentioned, um, this might put them in a higher risk category. Someone that has an ancestry associated with um, BRCA1 and 2 mutations, so if they are of Ashkenazi Jew um, descent, um, if someone's known to be a carrier of a pathogenic mutation, um, that increases their risk of breast cancer. So this could be Lynch syndrome, um, which is like a mutation and mismatch repair genes, Cowden syndrome, which is a P10 mutation, and Lee-Fromini syndrome, which is a P53 mutation. And so all of those, like, you'll definitely stay on your boards. And I thought that I wouldn't ever see these, but in my time at the Gyne Oncology Clinic, I've actually seen a couple of these. Um, and so, you know, it's definitely not uncommon and they're, um, you know, good to look out for, especially even if you're diagnosing someone with breast cancer or another type of um, gynecologic cancer and they're of a younger age, um, it's probably um, recommended that you screen them for a genetic predisposition. 
Um, if someone has a history of a high-risk lesion found on biopsy in the breast, um, they're considered a higher risk. And if they've had radiotherapy to the chest um, between the ages of 10 and 30. So basically there are different calculators, um, sort of assessment tools that you can use to determine if a patient is of average risk or if they're of high risk of breast cancer in their lifetime. The one that's most commonly used is called the GALE model um, or the breast cancer risk assessment tool. And again, it kind of implements those risk factors that I just discussed. So going into average risk patients, what is recommended for their screening? Um, the incidence of breast cancer is pretty low under 40. However, as I mentioned, I personally, I know someone that was diagnosed much younger than that. But as, um, as a whole, most women are diagnosed um, in, their, in their 50s or beyond. And the risk of breast cancer increases with increasing age. Between the ages of 40 and 49, the recommendation um, for mammogram is to have a shared decision-making with your patient. So sitting down and having a discussion, what would they prefer their you know, screening to look like? Are they you know, very vigilant with their health? Would they like to know if something was going on? Do they not like coming to the doctor and are they not you know, very worried, you know, if they're not high risk, you know, someone might think, well, that sounds like unnecessary screening for me, you know, then that's okay. If someone does decide that, you know, they would like to start getting mammograms in their 40s, uh, they usually um, will have them every one to two years. Some of the reasons why we don't uh, necessarily highly recommend someone get a mammogram when they're 40 is that mammograms um, have been shown to be less sensitive in younger women. <clears throat> and so uh, they might, you know, not catch, uh, you know, a cancer or they may um, detect something that is benign. And so, you know, going back to that unnecessary t further testing. Um, but the American Cancer Society going back to all these different medical societies that recommend different things, um, they recommend uh, starting mammogram, regular mammograms at age 45. Um, once someone is at the age of 50, uh, pretty much across the board, uh, you know, doctors recommend that a patient will get a mammogram every one to two years um, up to the age of 74. And then once a patient is 75 and older, um, this kind of depends again on that, you know, shared decision-making, um, you know, assessing their risks, and then also, um, you know, uh, assessing what their life expectancy is. Typically, if someone's life expectancy is less than 10 years, then they will not recommend a regular mammogram. Um, for someone that's of moderate risk, uh, this would be someone that has family history of breast cancer without a genetic syndrome. So, you know, oh, I have a, um, you know, first degree relative that had breast cancer before menopause. They do a screening on me and it turns out I don't have BRCA. I don't have, you know, Cowden or Lynch or any of that. Um, this would be... Um, 
typically like a 15 to 20% lifetime risk of being diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, most medical societies actually recommend that this uh, risk group uh, receive the same um, screening recommendations as average risk patients. Um, and uh, I think Cassie and I talked about um, an episode or two ago um, about, you know, we've definitely heard of people being screened earlier if they have family history of premenopausal breast cancer, um, but there's not um, great evidence that uh, there's a benefit to actually doing this. Um, but, you know, again, it's something that there's um, research coming out all the time, and so that may change. Um, but currently, the recommendation is that moderate, moderate risk um, patients uh, receive the same annual or every two-year screening uh, that an average risk patient would get. <clears throat> Supplemental imaging like ultrasound or MRI, um, these generally aren't recommended for moderate risk patients um, because, again, the research hasn't shown that there's a real benefit. Um, the number of, um, you know, diagnoses of breast cancer um, in someone that's started, uh, that's done the MRI and ultrasound screening in addition, hasn't been more than those who just get a mammogram. Um, for patients that are of higher risk, um, so those that have a more than 20% lifetime risk of a diagnosis of breast cancer, again, these are um, patients with, uh, you know, genetic predispositions um, and some of the other risk factors that we discussed before. Um, those are those that are known to have BRCA1 and 2 mutations. Um, these patients uh, that fall into this category, um, you might consider referring them to a high-risk screening clinic. Um, so um, <clears throat> some oncologists, even though a patient hasn't been diagnosed with cancer, they may follow someone that's in a high-risk group. Um, I know that the gynecologist, oncologist that I'm working with now, they follow um, you know, several patients that they say, hey, like my mom and I were both um, you know, diagnosed with you know, Lynch syndrome or Cowden syndrome. So um, is it okay if I follow with you every year or um, depending on what type of cancer you're looking out for, the recommendations differ, um, but they're, they will be screened more frequently. <clears throat> um, in this group, uh, you may also um, start the discussion of risk reduction treatment. Um, and so this includes prophylactic prophylactic mastectomy. Um, some people that, you know, find out that they have BRCA1 and 2 may elect to have um, both of their breasts removed so that, you know, decreases their risk of breast cancer. Um, there's a few other um, uh, treatments. I know I was reading about, um, there's a few chemotherapy drugs that um, people can take to decrease their risk of um, say ovarian cancer, endometrial cancer, if they're in a, again, if they have one of these genetic uh, predispositions. Um, so those are kind of the general recommendations. Again, it varies based on their risk, um, but for average risk patients, we'll start doing mammograms at least by age 50. Um, once someone 
uh, has their mammogram, a radiologist will look at, um, you know, obviously, are there any apparent lesions? And if there is, they'll rate it on a BIRADS um, assessment category. Um, so anything that is a um, BIRADS category four or five, um, or if someone is found to have a palpable breast mass confirmed on a mammogram, um, that will typically warrant them to get a biopsy. Um, and most commonly, uh, the biopsy will be a percutaneous, meaning from the skin, ultrasound guided core needle biopsy. Um, that's a high yield, high yield question. <laughs> um, there are some other modalities. Um, say someone, you know, feels a mass, um, we won't go straight to a biopsy. We will get imaging first and then do a biopsy. You always want to do imaging first to understand, you know, where you're going, obviously. Um, ultrasound um, can also be used as an adjunct if someone is known to have dense breast tissue, um, you know, as an additional screening tool, but um, it's not necessarily, you know, like required. Um, MRIs are typically reserved for an adjunct with mammogram for high-risk patients. Um, so they might get a mammogram every year and then um, an MRI in the, at the six between uh, getting their mammograms. Um, so the clinical breast exam, um, I know that it seems to me from my own, um, you know, annual physicals and like the doctors that I've worked with that most doctors still implement the clinical breast exam as a screening tool. Um, there seems to be a lot of differences in opinion about, you know, if this should be used as an adjunctive screening, it's definitely not used as a, you know, as the sole screening for breast cancer. Imaging is um, by far, you know, obviously much more um, sensitive for breast cancer. And um, so uh, whether a doctor wants to use this as an additional tool is really up to them. Um, but studies so far haven't shown that it increases, um, you know, the diagnosis of breast cancer. Um, Self-breast exam um, is another thing that's kind of, the recommendations for that have changed over the past few years. Um, now they recommend um, encouraging breast awareness. So just kind of being aware of how they normally feel and look. And if you notice any changes, go to your doctor. Um, <clears throat> some, uh, some doctors still recommend the self-breast exam just as kind of a way to empower women and help them understand how important it is to, you know, um, look out for their health. Um, but uh, there have been studies that show that there's an increased risk of um, biopsying benign lesions when we go off of someone finding something that they feel. I'm not really sure like how I feel about this yet, but um, to me, Again, going by a friend of mine who found a cancer very early, you know, she was doing a self-breast exam and she found it. Um, so I don't know. I think, I think there can be a utility there, but I guess the research so far hasn't shown that it's beneficial. And 
may even be harmful in some ways. Um, so I think, I think as far as clinical breast exam and self breast exam, um, that kind of varies based on the doctor and how comfortable they feel. And really that, um, that seems to be the case for any of the screening. You know, I talked about the OB guy that said, my wife is going to get an annual pap smear. So you are too. I'm like, okay. Oh yeah. It was an OB. It was my OB guy, not, <laughs> not a, one I was talking to. He also, um, quizzed me on, uh, you know, what the results of a pap smear, <laughs> oh, no. should, you know, should be and what the following steps are, you know, it was entertaining, but, you know, probably stressful for some people <laughs> if they're in that position. Um, well, talking about the yeah. benign, um, you know, increased biopsy and benign lesions, I agree with you. I think, you know, like you said, your friend was able to find her own. I think, as I always say, education is the most important thing. So we've learned about different, um, types of masses or changes that women can feel in their breasts. And so uh, not every change is or something that they feel is a cancer. Um, so knowing that, you know, your breasts change with your menstrual cycle and things like that is, I think, is important. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I missed the day in seventh grade when we learned, uh, we're taught about self-breast exams. I think I, I had something else and I like missed the day um, at school that day. So I never actually know what our public school system in California taught us about it. But um, I think it's important, you know, to, um, if you're going to encourage your patients to do that, to kind of educate them and explain, you know, here's some things. It's always important to uh, come in and talk if you do find something, but to understand that those changes can happen with your cycle, not saying that it's always going to be just a cycle related thing, but to understand that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I think maybe the, the time to talk about treatment for breast cancer will be, you know, a, either when we have a, um, you know, breast oncologist on or a breast surgeon. Um, but, you know, generally there are surgical options, chemotherapy options and radiation. Um, and then Cassie, uh, did you want to talk about a mammogram study that you yeah so I mean I haven't had a mammogram yet I don't think you have yet either Shelby so Mm -hmm. I don't personally have experience with a mammogram but all I know about it is that it's super uncomfortable um because you Mm -hmm. you know you sit there and then they squeeze your breast and compress it to try and get the um, image and as you mentioned with for women with dense breast tissue uh it can be really hard to read the mammograms and usually actually that's why they don't do it younger is because younger women's tend to have more dense breasts. Um, And as you get older, Mm -hmm. that kind of changes. So uh, something that there's a a new technology that's kind of coming out where instead of um, right now it's being done and they're submitting it as an adjunct to screening mammography, specifically for women with dense breasts. But what you do is you kind of lay on a table and your breast is suspended in the warm water bath. And instead of being, well, that's not so bad. Right, doesn't that sound <laughs> lovely? Like, ooh, you know, a little spa treatment or something. Um, but you're laying there and they're able to use the technology um, while the breast is suspended in the water and it just comes up and it gets the image that way. And it's being used specifically right now for women um, with dense breasts. So I know that that technology currently is, um, the study is as an adjunct to mammography. I don't know if they're ever going to have it as a replacement, but that's something I know a lot of women don't want to have a mammogram because it's uncomfortable. 
but that hopefully, you know, maybe if this is something that um, ends up working in the future. Uh, when it was first explained to me, it was explained as a study to hopefully one day replace screening mammograms. And so the study, you have to still get a mammogram and you have to do this um, water bath uh, for your breasts. But um, And they're kind of looking at it to compare the results and see if it's as effective um, as mammography. So maybe one day that'll happen. And hopefully before the time that you and I have to do that, they'll uh, have something a little more comfortable but mm-hmm. I think it's really cool that you know with especially with just the evolution of technology that we're always having uh, new things come up and like you mentioned with all even the screening guidelines it changes consistently so it's just so cool how um, medicine is con- constantly evolving yeah absolutely I, I was thinking about that too with um Gyne Oncology, they are like constantly reading up on current research. And I think it kind of keeps them on their toes and probably, you know, keeps that lifelong learning up that you might not see in other areas of medicine. Um, So I think that is pretty cool. Um, And, you know, it's always great when research is finding better ways to screen and better ways to treat, um, you know, cancer um, both to catch it, you know, uh, early on and also to make it more tolerable for patients. Absolutely. All right, great. Well, um, I enjoyed talking about uh, another screening tool today, and I hope it was informative for everyone. Um, and yeah, encourage your loved ones to get their regular mammograms. Because um, again, you know, there's there's good treatments out there now for breast cancer. And so the earlier we find it, the better. Yeah. Thanks so much for educating us, Shelby. And hopefully now all of our listeners can go out and educate their friends and family. Like we mentioned last time, I'm going to say it again. Education is so important with health education (laughs) um, and helping to prevent and treat disease, I think. Um, And I'm super excited because next week we have a special guest um, coming to speak to us. Dr. Ahmed is coming to speak to us about pelvic pain medicine. So we're going to learn more about what pelvic pain medicine is, how she became a pelvic pain doctor, and uh, kind of how what role that plays in, you know, as OB-GYNs in the future and just in general as patients, how we can advocate for our patients and for ourselves uh, when it comes to pelvic pain. So I'm really excited for that episode. So yeah, she seems really cool. She's got, you know, quite the Instagram following. And I know I know nothing about pelvic pain, um, you know, and didn't even realize this was a specialty. So it'll be really cool to get to chat with her a little bit. Thanks for joining us this week. And happy holidays. We look forward to talking with you next week. We are third-year medical students at Toro University of Nevada College of Osteopathic Medicine, and we are student members of ACOG, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, and ACUG, the American College of Osteopathic Obstetricians and Gynecologists. The views expressed in this episode are not representative of any of these organizations, and this podcast is not affiliated or associated with any of these organizations.